0: my name is Nikki my name is Charlie and you're listening to bed, bed crime, crime stories, stories a weekly true crime podcast where we pour ourselves a drink and take turns telling each other the stories that keep us up at night so Nikki would you like to kick us off this week with your true crime headlines I liked that one. Oh, okay
1: yeah we'll have to good. I'll have to practice that it Headlines. Was like, it was like simple and then it gave that it's like an exclamation point at the end okay and i could put music behind that headlines <gasps> i like that okay all right so my first uh true crime headline is from newsweek.com it was posted on january 19th 2021 because we're finally out of 2020 Thank goodness. Uh, i know so it is pet dog mold serial domestic abuser who knocked out his girlfriend's teeth
0: repeat that headline again
1: right pet dog mauled serial domestic abuser who knocked out girlfriend's teeth love it right that's team, what i said when i read team it. team dog
0: team dog go ahead
1: so uh, basically they said a, t- uh, a pet dog came to the rescue of a woman whose front teeth were knocked out by her serial abuser boyfriend in a vicious and unprovoked attack Aww. biting him so hard that he had to get stitches and spend two days in the hospital oh yeah so i guess um the guy was also which it was a it was a pitbull because they're nanny dogs yes they are but he was um i guess beating the dog first also (gasps) because
0: no no yeah can't handle that so
1: he he i guess was arguing with the girlfriend the dog got into the room the dog tried to go after him and basically get in in between and uh The guy started hitting the dog, and then at that point, the girl ran away, Mm -hmm. but then he ended up, like, I guess, punching the girl in the face and knocking out her front teeth.
0: So, then the dog was like, oh, hell no, not on my dog watch. but it
1: doesn't say what happened to the dog. So, I was like, I don't think, I mean, normally what happens in situations where there's dog bites, dogs get put down, Mm -hmm. but I feel like in this case, if the dog was put down, that was wrong.
0: Right. Well, and I think that they normally only will put a dog down if there's a complaint Okay. Issued against the dog. And I guess in this specific case, I'm assuming he was probably arrested.
1: Uh, Dude it got says, bit. says he had no recl- re- recollection of the incident at all because he was under the influence of alcohol. I'm sure. Um, oh, wait. Yeah. No, he was. Okay. Because it said he pled guilty to domestic, uh, domestically aggravated charge of assault to severe injury and to causing a dog
0: unnecessary suffering. Good, yeah. So basically, yeah. they probably looked at it as like the dog was
1: <clears throat>
0: defending itself. Yeah. Self-doggy defense.
1: Yeah, because um, uh, the sheriff came out and said, uh, you started by beating a defenseless animal and went on to carry a vicious and unprovoked attack on your partner. Yeah. So, and he was only 24. Bastard. Like, bro, go get some therapy. Which also... I always play hit my boyfriend just to see what my dogs will do. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because she like, she will get in between us, mm-hmm. but she's like on my side. Mm-hmm. So I'll be beating the crap out of him. And then she's like almost going at him like he did something wrong. And I'm like, yeah, it's just funny. Yeah.
0: My one dog just doesn't like it when my boyfriend and I kiss. He gets real mad. He just barks at my boyfriend until my boyfriend stops. It's, re- it's actually really cute i'm like oh he really doesn't thin. want you to he doesn't want you to be near me my dog gets in the middle he loves me more Ooh.
1: Yeah. okay so my other one um is from the new york post and it was also posted on january 19th 2021 and it says couple arrested after allegedly fil- filming themselves having sex on ferris wheel okay I mean, okay. So it says a a couple from South Carolina allegedly had sex on a Ferris wheel and were arrested after police found a recording of the wild ride on a porn site.
0: Oh my God.
1: Mm -hmm. But I guess it was like, it wasn't like a, like a children's Ferris wheel. Well, it was like a, (laughs) a glass gondola that was 187 feet in the air on the sky wheel in Myrtle Beach.
0: Oh, so it's like one of those like, uh, um... One of those like sightseeing Ferris wheels, one of those giant. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of ballsy.
1: I mean, it's fine if you have sex in certain places that are not your bedroom, but I don't think you should record it.
0: Well, I was going to say recording it and then posting it on a public site for public consumption. I think that's where you that's that's where you went wrong, my friends. Yes. So they were arrested. Yeah, I'm sure they were. Not smart decisions. Those are my true crime headlines. Wow. Those Another are some th- very two different directions. We went I in know. tonight. Wow. Very different directions. We went in tonight. Well, well, thank you so much, Nikki. I will go ahead and take over for the rest of the episode and tell you all the story about the disappearance of Susan Cox Powell so this is actually one of and I, this this is gonna sound crazy but for everybody listening i think you know where i'm coming from this is one of my favorite stories i know that's weird but i've watched a lot of documentaries about this one and it just it always it just throws me this whole story is just so bananas it's absolutely crazy I've never
1: heard of this one. um
0: I, I wonder if as i'm telling it there's certain things you'll remember probably, i think because everything just sounds yeah horrible. everything kind of blends it's not that long ago that all of the activity from this story took place, and there's certain things that happen in this that are very, um, very specific to this case mm-hmm. that I'm sure you might remember. So, um, a lot of sources contributed to my story. Of course, obviously, Wikipedia, um, also the SeattleTimes.com, Time.com, uh, the CharlieProject.org truecrimetimesblog.medium.com and the Susan Cox Powell Foundation.net. So um, a decent amount of places I had to f- get my research from, specifically when I'm talking about like the, the history of the people in the story. So jumping into the story, um, Susan Marie Cox was born on October 16th, 1981. She was born in New Mexico to parents, Charlie and Judy Cox. The Cox family lived for a while in Alaska before finally settling in Washington state when Susan was a child. She comes from a family of very devoted members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the LDS Church, which I do believe for the rest of the story I do refer to it as the LDS Church, and then even more commonly it's known as the Mormon Church. Um, She too was active in the church community her entire life. Susan met her future husband, Joshua Powell, in November of 2000. Susan and Joshua were classmates at an um, Institute of Religion course that was given by the LDS Church, and the two began began a relationship and were married the following April at the Portland, Oregon, LDS Temple. Joshua had a bachelor's degree in business, and Susan was a trained cosmetologist. Um, Eventually, she did leave her job in cosmetology to work as a broker for Wells Fargo. So uh, Joshua Powell was born on January 20th, 1976, so he was about five years older than her. Um, He was born to Stephen and Terrica Powell in Puyallup, Washington. I had to look up how to pronounce Puyallup, and I wrote it phonetically, (laughs) Puyallup. Yeah. Um, Okay. So she was born in Puyallup, Washington, or he was, I'm sorry. Uh, Joshua's parents had a dysfunctional marriage caused in large part by Stephen's disaffection with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, According to divorce filings by Tarika in 1992, Stephen shared pornography with Joshua and his two male siblings and refused to teach her discipline the boys about certain offensive behaviors, specifically like sexually offensive behaviors. In the divorce case, Terika told the court that her husband's parenting was offensive. So whether it's offensive just in general sense or was it offensive to their religion. Regardless, Tarika was kind of fed up with the way that Stephen was choosing to parent their children. Joshua's mom claims that Stephen subjected Joshua in particular to overly harsh punishment over his four other siblings. He had two brothers, two sisters. For years, he pointedly attacked Joshua very frequently, nearly every day for a time, she wrote in the divorce filings. Steven acknowledged that Joshua was a challenge as a child. So I guess that was his excuse. And he said that at times I had no idea how to handle Joshua. He is now a little taller than I and may with his regular weightlifting be a little stronger and bulkier than I. I cannot spank him. Spanking didn't even help when he was younger. So Joshua obviously was a handful, I guess. It is
1: reported This is when you get dogs
0: and when they annoy you, you say, go to your broom. Exactly. Put them in that crate and they sit in their crate and think about what they did. Exactly. Um, It is reported that when he was 13 or 14, Joshua tried to commit suicide by hanging himself. And once when Terrica had tried to get Joshua to do the dishes, he turned to her with a butcher knife in his hand and in a very menacing voice said to her, don't push it, mom. So like I said, they had met in November of 2000. Their courtship was very, very short, and they were married by that following April. And for a brief, a brief period following their wedding, Joshua and Susan lived with Joshua's father, Stephen Powell, at his home in South Hill, Washington. Stephen had developed an obsessive infatuation with Susan. Um, and for a short while, she was actually unaware of the fact that he was that he had this crush on her. So his obsession was made more intense by the fact that they were all living under the same roof. Mm. Steven would follow Susan around the house with a camcorder. He used a small mirror to spy on her while she used the bathroom. He stole oh. her underwear from her laundry. Oh. He read her journals, and he even posted love songs online under a pseudonym. And you can find all of this stuff. If you watch any documentaries about this story, they show footage from his actual video recordings that he recorded it of himself. It, it's crazy. No, 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 He put it like, he had like oh. a blog spot or whatever, and he would post oh. it online. Yeah. So Anybody
1: can have a blog.
0: It was crazy. Um, In his own journals, he wrote of the emerging issues in the couple's marriage and his desire for Joshua and Susan to divorce. He said, it's very problematic to be madly in love with your son's wife. And he wrote that on February 24th, 2003. I am so madly in love with Susan that I would do something desperate to have her. Um, Also in 2003, Stephen confessed his feelings to a surprise Susan. So he finally tells her that he's like, in love with her. And, of course, she rejects him because, hi.
1: She said not today.
0: She's like, nah, hard pass. So um, the conversation was accidentally captured by his microphone on his camcorder. So they were getting into a van to go someplace. And, of course, he had his camcorder with him, and he put it down on the center console, thought he shut it off, and it recorded the audio but never recorded any video. And he tells her that he's... Like in love with her, and he wants to be with her, and she's like, "I don't really know what to say." Like she was completely, absolutely, thrown for a loop in this whole entire situation. Wherever with him. Well, they were already in the car. Like they were already driving somewhere. She's not gonna like tuck and roll out of the moving van. (laughs) <laughs> like, <seriously>. I would <laughs> For real um, So the, the Powell So Susan and Joshua Wind up moving out of state Soon after And partly so Susan Could distance herself From oh, yeah. the whole Stephen factor Of the relationship In uh, I know It's very In uh, in 2005 The Powells Welcome a son Named Charlie Two Aww. years later um, Another son Named Brayden Arrived So 2005 And 2007 They have Their two sons Susan hoped That the addition Of their their children would help to keep their family together because things had already started to sour between the two of them, between her and Joshua. But in 2008, Joshua was struggling to hold down a job, He and it actually forced him to file for bankruptcy. So this served to further degrade his relationship with Susan, and the animosity between the two of them was far beyond normal just disagreements. It got incredibly tumultuous in the household. So Susan actually began to detail the family struggles in journals and even wound up videotaping their assets in case a divorce turned ugly. So she wanted to show this is all the stuff that we owned just in case we have to separate our assets. This is proof that this is what we own, basically. As she was walking around on this uh, this videotape and she's showing her assets, she's, she's recording um, and passing comments about how unhappy the relationship is it's just it's very chilling to watch this, these you can
1: watch this you can watch
0: oh yeah this you can see footage of all of the stuff if you watch yeah. these documentaries it's insane you know she knew that her family was in danger there was definitely things that she had said that she knew that her family was in danger but she, i don't think that she ever really knew like how bad it was going to get so in june of 2008 susan wrote the following For family and friends of Susan, all except Joshua Powell, I don't trust him. I have been having extreme marital stress for three to four years now. For mine and my children's safety, I feel the need to have a paper trail. He has threatened to skip the country and told me if we divorce, there will be lawyers. If I die, it may not be an accident, even if it looks like one. So that's like how intensely tumultuous this relationship had become. So let's move on to the morning of the main events of the story. So the morning of Sunday, December 6, 2009, this began like any other normal Sunday for Susan. She attended church service with her sons. And later that afternoon, a friend and neighbor of the family visited her at the home. So um, the friend, Susan and Joshua wind up having lunch together. He made pancakes, which Even the friend had passed a comment about how it was unusual that Joshua would cook because there was like, it was very obvious the roles in the house that he maintained, like he was the husband, she was the wife, she was to cook. So the fact that he cooked, it was abnormal. And according to the friend, after they had eaten, Susan was saying that she was tired and wanted to nap before dinner, that she wasn't really feeling well and she wanted to go lay down. So the next day, neither Susan or Joshua show up for work. They didn't call their employers to say that they would be absent. And they also did not drop the children off at daycare. Authorities issued a missing persons bulletin for Susan, Joshua, and their two sons, two-year-old Charlie and four-year-old Brayden. Strike that reverse at the ages. Four-year-old Charlie, two-year-old Brayden. <laughs> Sorry about that. I wrote that down wrong. Yes. So Charlie at this point is four. Brayden is two. So Joshua and the children wind up returning home at like five o'clock that evening. Susan was never heard from again. Joshua said that he had taken the son's camping in the desert at Simpson Springs. Wait. Uh, yes. Th- I was going to say, this is where you're going to be like, there Me. it is. Me. Light bulb. Yeah. I know this one. Yes. So Joshua said that he had taken his son's camping in the desert at Simpson mm-hmm. Springs, approximately a two hour drive from their home. Nobody goes camping. Yes. So this was, um, late on a Sunday night. It was snowing. It was freezing cold in the very beginning of December. um, So there was definitely a lot of red flags happening here. And then when he returned home, he realized that Susan was missing was what he was claiming. Um, He said that he last saw Susan at their home at two 30 in the morning on December 7th, as he was setting out on their camping trip, Susan said that, or he said that Susan didn't go with them because she felt sick. Um, Joshua said that he didn't go to work on Monday because he got confused as to what day of the work of the week it was.
1: I mean, now that I'm in quarantine, and i'm working from home half the time i get that but when you're going to work monday through like friday and you're like i had yesterday off and i had today off so that must mean i work tomorrow correct yes
0: when your schedule is like a normal working schedule it's very hard to say oh well i just assumed it was sunday my bad like it's that's a little bit of a ridiculous
1: like especially with all this going on my manager will text me and she'll like and then I'll be like, am I supposed to be at the office today or are you?
0: Yeah. And she'll be like, oh, no, 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 I'm like, okay. Yeah. Just like a so, authorities quickly classified Stu- Susan's disappearance as suspicious and they executed a search warrant for her home. Her family maintained that Susan was a devoted mother who would not have abandoned her children. She left her purse, keys, and cell phone behind at home. So, again, lots of red flags all over the place that something sinister had occurred. Um, investigators stated that on the day that Susan was reported missing, they noticed a large wet spot on the living room carpet of their home and there was two large box fans set up in the living room blowing on that area of carpet to drive it so when they questioned joshua about it he said that um it was from their like from the snow tracking the snow into the house that that's why the carpet was wet but it was only wet in like this one area So not only do they question, of course, this big wet spot in the living room, they also question the story itself. So we don't understand why you would take two toddlers camping in the middle of winter, basically. The temperatures were uh, well below freezing. There was sleet, snow, rain. Like There was no way that anybody would pack up their kids, especially after midnight, to just randomly go camping. So police searched the site where Joshua said that he had set up camp. They were unable to determine whether anybody had camped there recently. um, And The kids did confirm that the trip had taken place, however. So only a week after Susan was gone, Joshua hired an attorney. Authorities named him as the person of interest in her case and stated that he hadn't cooperated with the investigation. The police briefly impounded the family's minivan to search it. And during the day that the van was in police custody, Joshua winds up renting a car. So investigators later determined he had driven it hundreds of miles before he returns it back to the rental place but the car didn't have any sort of like gps stored on it so they don't know where he is right exactly like so we're in this just one or a couple of days driving hundreds of miles on this rental car it's very strange going to disney yeah Well, no, they're in Utah, so they're definitely not. A neighbor said that Joshua appeared at his home when it was time to return the rented car and get his van back from the police and stated that he was acting very oddly, that his hands were windburned and he kept putting lotion on them. So his hands were all like red and chapped like from the wind and he was constantly putting lotion on his hands. Um, In January 2010, a month after Susan's disappearance, Joshua packs up his family and puts their house up for rent and they move back to Washington to live with his father, Stephen. So S- S- Susan's missing, you're saying that you have nothing to do with that, that she's gone, you want her to come home. But yet you're leaving the state where she would come home to renting your house and moving back home with your father who you know, there's all this history between him and your wife. So very strange. Joshua and Stephen cut off all access to the children from Susan's family, including her parents, Judy and Chuck Cox. In an interview in November 2010, Joshua states that his wife was mentally unstable and he thought that she had left of her own accord possibly to be with another man, even though there was zero evidence that she would have been talking to another person. And he was now afraid to, or that she was now afraid to return because there was too much media attention. So she's not going to come back because now everybody's paying attention to where she is. Susan's family and Joshua's own sister disputed the characterization of her, but Stephen supported Joshua's statements. He said that um, or he and Joshua planned to publish their website excerpts from the diary that Susan kept when she was a teenager more than a decade before her disappearance, saying that the writings were proof that she was a troubled woman and didn't get along with her parents. So it was like from when she was a teenager, probably like,
1: everybody my dad's hates- mean to me. Yeah, everybody and like, hates their parents when exactly.
0: Susan's family got an injunction to stop the publication, however, so yay. Some of Susan's neighbors stated that she had been unhappy in their marriage for some time and that she had spoken openly about divorce. One of the acquaintances that, uh, of the couple stated that Susan had been saving money for this purpose, to, to leave Joshua. Susan reportedly described that Joshua was controlling and claimed that they argued frequently. She was still active in her local LDS church, but Joshua had stopped attending altogether. The couple did attend marriage counseling through their church for only about four months, uh, but the counseling ended as soon as Susan disappeared. So they were going right up until the point of her disappearing. Joshua later claimed that LDS members tried to alienate Susan against him and pressured her to divorce him against her wishes simply because he was no longer active in the church. For about two months after her disappearance, Susan's family stood by Joshua and said that they didn't believe that he would have harmed her Um, But in February 2010, however, a family friend appointed as spokesperson for Susan's family told the media that they had learned that Joshua had been emotionally abusing Susan for years, and there was at least one episode of physical abuse to Susan as well.
1: Well, and let's also say that, like, emotionally abusing someone is just as bad as, like, physically abusing. Oh, yeah, for
0: sure. No, absolutely. It literally just,
1: like, warps so much. Yes, Absolutely. Because I know sometimes people act like like emotional abuse isn't the same as verbal, and it's like no, it's it's literally just yeah, it's just as bad. Mm-hmm.
0: The Coxes stated that Joshua had alienated their children against Susan and limited her access to the family's bank account, even though she was the primary earner. Because like I had said, he couldn't hold a steady job, and she was still working at Wells Fargo as a banker or as a as a broker. They claim that he often didn't allocate her enough money to even buy food for herself or the children, and she had to start a vegetable garden just in order to feed them.
1: Wait, so she made the money, but he did the
0: budget. He he no he like controlled the bank account. She would only get he would only give her like an an allowance.
1: Oh fuck that.
0: Yeah,
1: Mm-mm.
0: yeah. So um, here's an interesting twist to Rudy. In September 2011, Stephen. Daddio was charged with voyeurism and possession of child pornography. Oh, fuck when they searched, yeah, when they searched his Washington home for evidence in Susan's disappearance in August, authorities found more than 1,000 videos of women and girls as young as eight being filmed without their knowledge in various degrees of undress, including completely nude. Some of the images showed the victims taking baths, showering, and using the toilet. Police said it appeared that Stephen had been making mm-hmm. the films for at least a decade.
1: See, that's, okay, that's the shit that freaks me out when I use public bathrooms, mm. is like literally like looking and inspecting
0: them. To see if there's a camera in there. It's creepy. My whole thing is if somebody wants to watch me pee, I mean, whatever. It's I'm gross. Who wants to watch me pee? I don't want to watch me pee. I don't even want to watch me pee. Ugh. Okay, For at least a And of course, one of the women's and the tape was Susan, as we know from earlier in the story steven also had pictures of other nude female bodies with their heads replaced by an image of susan's face and photos of himself masturbating to a video of susan yeah pause for the gross faces in the room okay In may have to that that's the certain co- things that you that should, is the correct response
1: <laughs> like don't
0: there's yeah. certain things that you should shouldn't do altogether mm-hmm.
1: that's one of them yeah
0: in May 2012 Stephen was convicted of 15 charges related to the pornography he was sentenced to two and a half years in prison that's it yeah
1: two and a half years
0: yeah Susan and Joshua's children were taken into foster care following Stephen's arrest. The Coxes sought and obtained temporary custody of the children. Joshua received supervised visitation twice a week, rented a new home and submitted to a psychological evaluation in his bid to regain custody. So here's where it gets real, real fucking dark and awful. The psychologist who evaluated Joshua diagnosed him with a narcissistic personality disorder and noted that while he was an affectionate and attentive parent, he repeatedly said inappropriate things to Charlie and Braden about Susan and Susan's family, in spite of being told not to, and believed that a militant faction of the LDS church wanted to kidnap them. Among other statements, he also told the boys that the Mormon police had put Stephen in jail on false charges and were trying to do the same thing to him. He denied any inappropriate interest in pornography and any knowledge of the images on Stephen's computer, but he admitted that he might might not have turned his father into the police if he had known about the child pornography. The police in Utah had found about 400 images of cartoon sex and drawings with incestuous themes on Joshua's computer in 2009, but the authorities in Washington didn't learn of this until November 2011 and didn't actually see the pictures until the following January
1: 2012. How does that get someone off? Like, how does that, how does that turn Girl. them on?
0: hey you know my whole thing look i'm not here to kink shame anybody i am not here to yuck anyone's yum. oh yeah
1: maybe strike that too I'm know, sorry.
0: no my whole thing is i'm not here to yuck anyone's yum you whatever gets you off gets you off more power to you i don't fucking care the line obviously there's a, a area where the line has to be drawn and obviously that's you know, exploitation, abuse, Mm -hmm. and children. Like, that's a a line, you know? Um, But even with those images coming to light, the biggest threat to Joshua Powell's freedom was his own sons. He had hoped they would be too young to remember or understand what happened to their mom. So as you may remember, Joshua told police that Susan stayed home in bed the night that she disappeared and did not go on this supposed camping trip. But Charlie did not back up his dad's story. When interviewed, Charlie told investigators that they went camping at Dinosaur National Park and that his mom, dad, and little brother were all with him. He said the family took flowers and crystals with them, but when it was time to come home, Charlie said, my mom stayed where the crystals are because it's so much pretty where the crystals grow. The area that the family went camping was surrounded by mines. So when confronted with his son's testimony, Joshua told police she was not with us. They don't know what's true.
1: Sorry. I only believe children that young. I mean, they, legit. They not lie. No. They have nothing to gain.
0: Correct. Well, and they don't, they don't know enough yet to yeah. lie. They only know what they're told to say. And eventually they're going to say, well, daddy told me that mommy was sleeping. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, kids are too honest. They're too innocent for that shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm -mm
1: -mm. that's why when a little kid tells you you're fat
0: it's time to jump on a treadmill when they're like you're ugly and you're like oh my god i'm ugly the tiny child told me so it must be true so charlie and Braden were removed from joshua's custody like i said earlier in 2011 and placed with susan's parents and he had those supervised visits so um the judge ordered that the boys remain with Chuck and Judy until Joshua went a psychosexual evaluation and of course took these polygraph tests. So while in the care of Chuck and Judy, the boys became increasingly more vocal about what happened on the night of the bizarre camping trip. Susan's parents lawyer said they were beginning to verbalize more. And the oldest boy talked about when they went camping, that mommy was in the trunk that mom and dad got out of the car, but mom never came home charlie also made a drawing showing him and his brother and the family minivan with joshua at the wheel and when he was asked where mommy was she said she was in the trunk so on sunday okay this is the really bad part okay are we all ready i'm gonna take an extra sip of wine because this gets real and there's a plane coming so it's a good opportunity to take a sip of wine everybody let's take a sip of wine together Okay. Here we go. Okay. So on Sunday, February 5th, 2012, Charlie and Braden Powell were scheduled for a supervised visit with their father, Joshua. When caseworker Elizabeth Griffin Hall pulled into Joshua's driveway, the boys emerge from the car excited and start running towards the door. Some reports say that Charlie was didn't want to see their father that day. But Elizabeth says no, that they were really excited. And like I said, that they like just jumped out and ran towards the house and kind of like left Elizabeth back in the back in their dust, you know. But she was just far enough behind to allow Joshua to open up the door, let the boys in, slam the door in her face and lock the door before she could enter the house. Internal alarm bells went off in Elizabeth's head. Um, You have to kind of assume the worst of a man when he's the primary person of interest in a missing person's case. She said he caught my eye, his shoulders were slumped, he had this sheepish look. He just shrugged his shoulders and slammed the door.
1: That was a lot of S words. That was
0: though. a lot of S words. I'm allowed to slur my speech. Thank yeah, you very much. That was a lot of That was not the wine talking, that was me just like, being
1: re-listening tired. to
0: it. i was like a real she sells she shells by the seashore. For real. Okay. <clears throat> so Elizabeth pounded on the door and pleaded with Joshua to let her in, but he ignored her pleas. From inside the home, she heard Joshua say, Charlie, I've got a big surprise for you, followed by the sounds of Braden crying. It was not uncommon for Joshua to have gifts for his young sons, Elizabeth said, but this time it was definitely different and something was wrong so she was already frantic because she started smelling the odor of gasoline start to come from the house so you know she's begging let me in let me in she had her phone in her hand and she was like all right i gotta get the hell out of here type of thing because i don't want she didn't want her car to break up she or blow up she didn't know what was about to happen type of thing you know so she runs to her car and she kind of pulls it out of the driveway and calls 911. So the call was answered by a dispatcher who didn't really grasp the seriousness of the situation. And I will tell you, I've listened to the 911 call. There's a lot of people like reading a lot of comments and stuff. People are like, well, she didn't explain well enough what was happening. And like listening to the 911 call, she was panicked. She didn't yeah. know, and A, she didn't know what was going on at this time. And then at the same time, he wasn't really understanding, like, the gravity of the situation. So, like, I definitely... Because
1: it's easy to look back after you Correct. know something. Correct. But in that time frame, like, she doesn't know anything. She They're inside the house. Right. She's outside the house. Who knows Correct.
0: So he didn't grasp the seriousness of the situation, even though Elizabeth told him that it could be a life-threatening situation. He said later in an interview that even though he was familiar with Joshua Powell's name, he didn't immediately connect the dots when she said whose house he was at. During the exchange, Dave asked, Dave, who's the 911 operator, by the way, Dave asked Elizabeth for very mundane and like simple details. So what, what does your car look like? But he'd never really focused in on the important stuff, like the fact that there was a smell of gasoline, (laughs) you know, like things like that. So at the end of the call, Dave says to Elizabeth, well, the next available deputy would respond and that they have to respond to emergencies or life-threatening situations first. So she's like, you know, this definitely could be a life, life life-threatening situation. Something terrible is going on here. But before she could get the words out of her mouth, there was an explosion and the Powell home went up in flames. It would still take approximately 22 minutes for help to arrive. By the time uh, emergency vehicles arrived on the scene, Joshua, Charlie, and Brayden Powell were all gone. In the days leading up to February 5th, the day of the fire, Joshua gave away away all the boys' toys and books that he kept at his house for his sons. At some point, he stopped somewhere to fill up two five-gallon jugs of gasoline.
1: I think that that should be something that should just automatically ring like red flags like that's not normal
0: i mean it's just such a it's such a tricky situation because i mean like you could buy gas for any reason well, i mean
1: you could buy a, but a jug of gas when you're buying like two when i you're know. buying anything more than one that's when i'm just kind of like
0: i don't know it's it's touchy man it's slippery slope So, minutes before Charlie and Brayden showed up, Joshua sat at his computer and he composed a farewell message to friends, relatives, and his pastor. He informed them um, of where he kept his money and how to shut off his utilities. He Like the house was gone. So I I think that they know not to put electric to the house anymore, but you know, whatever he claimed in one email that he had decided to commit suicide because he couldn't live without his boys. He said, I'm not able to live without my sons and I'm not able to go on anymore. I'm sorry to everyone I've hurt. Goodbye. Joshua did not attempt to make sure his children didn't suffer when he set the house on fire, according to the boys autopsies, both children died from carbon monoxide poisoning, but they also both had chopping injuries as a secondary cause. Joshua attacked both of his boys with a hatchet enough to knock them down, but not kill them. And then as his children lay bleeding, he poured gasoline on their bodies and set the house on fire. And they're
1: What five and
0: three Um, at this point, possibly a little bit older than that, but what a monster. Yeah. Stephen Powell was released from prison in 2017. In July of the following year, the 68 year old died in Tacoma, Washington hospital of heart problems after he had served his 30 month sentence. Um, So not long after he was released, he did die,
1: die in prison because that's a big offense when you go.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Seriously. So the Cox family actually did wind up suing the Washington State Department of Social and Health Services due to their negligence in protecting Brayden and Charlie from harm. The Cox's lawsuit was thrown out in 2015, but in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals revived the case. And in January 2019, the court ruled that the lawsuit could proceed to trial. In early February 2020, that trial officially began. The Cox's are specific are specifically going after the agency itself. They're not looking to blame the caseworker herself so she's actually not the one who's being sued it's the agency for the fact that they didn't have enough protocol in place and really their biggest thing was why were why were the kids allowed to be seen by their father in an environment that they didn't control yeah. so like he had control over the environment why was that the case type of a thing yeah so normally um when
1: i thought when you're on like such a limited Thing. you have to go to like a public
0: I thought you had to go to like Department of Children's Services or yeah. whatever I thought so too but so um, though many people linked to Josh and the boys tried to warn the agency that the boys were in danger their pleas for help fell on deaf ears including jo- including Josh's own sister Jennifer Her his one sister never thought that her her brother was innocent she thought that he was guilty and she thought that he was going to do something bad. So due to the delays brought on by COVID-19, the trial did not reach its end until July of 2020. The courts did rule in the Cox family's favor and found that Washington DSHS agency was indeed negligent in its handling of the Powell boys case. According to the update provided by Chuck Cox on Susan Cowell, well, Susan Cox, Powell foundation.net. The results of this case are already increasing safety for children in foster care across Washington state and the nation. So here's just a quote from the foundation's page. This is kind of a note um, from the foundation to the public. So What happened to Charlie and Brayden was tragic, but this fight was not just for them. This fight was for all the children who have or could meet a similar fate due to negligence from the state. This is the system we've all been told to trust. The lives of children are at stake. This system has failed many times in the past, as indicated by their own records of deaths of children in dependency. Now that many of the mistakes have been identified, we want the agency to change their culture, do their jobs, and protect children. We are trying to make sure that DSHS and other agencies across the nation put kids first. The Susan Cox Powell Foundation will continue to help in any way and anyone that that we can to make this world a safer place, helping women and children get the help that they need to save themselves from domestic violence. So I guess the... Only light at the end of the tunnel for this, or I guess the silver lining to this awful, awful, awful dark cloud, is go to the Susan Cox Powell Foundation.net for details and information about how you can help further the cause of, um, you know, fighting for uh, victims of domestic abuse, both women and children um, in those abusive situations. And uh, yeah, so that is, I guess, the Good and they With a big giant her? question mark that came out of it. They've never found her. Um, according to some of the shows that I have watched about it, basically it's one of those things of where they went camping because they were by all of those mines, those abandoned mines. Those are like bottomless pits. So unless he really fucked up and put her someplace super shallow or someplace that she could be found, if he put her in one of those mines, she may never, ever, ever be found. So, yeah, so that is the unbelievably tragic story about the disappearance of Susan Cox Powell and the deaths of Charlie and Brayden Powell. Hmm. Sweet babies. Sweet babies. I know. And they're very cute little boys. Like I said, I might not like kids, but they are very sweet and cute little boys. So, you know, it's a rough one. That's a rough story. But there was, I want to say it was a discovery special about it um last year it was like a two-hour special and it was the first time i had ever i knew about the situation of like i went camping with my kids in the middle of the winter like i knew that from just like news stories and stuff but i didn't know the story yeah so i watched the documentary about it i want to say it was on discovery or id or something like that it was it's unbelievable and then to see all that additional crazy fucked up about the father-in-law it's and how baby. Oh, i know and how unbelievably obsessed he was with susan it's so fucking creepy but yeah so i highly recommend watching the documentary reading up on susan and her life and the boys and all that stuff so um yeah that's that's the story that i have for you guys that was a very good story thanks
1: you're welcome thanks
0: So um, thank you guys so much, as always, for listening to Bad Crime Stories. We appreciate each and every one of you. Um, Make sure that you go and like and subscribe and leave a review on wherever you listen to us for um you know for others to see and spread the word make sure you check us out on social media both twitter and instagram i will say that i am in charge of our twitter and i do not post nearly as much as i should um so i do apologize instagram I'm is many, definitely where we're the most active I was
1: gonna say i try to be very active on instagram it doesn't always happen
0: Hey, you know, life happens, life gets in the way. But, you know, Instagram is definitely where we are the most active. So definitely check us out there. We are at Bed Crime Stories. You can also shoot us an email if you have any questions or would like to share any stories. Um, That's at Bed Crime Stories pod at gmail.com. So for myself, for Nikki, for Jovi, again, thank you so much for listening. We love you all. And until next time, sweet dreams. dreams.